on that. Um, I just said hi to, uh, I just put into our, our online, our, on our website, uh, the heads up about communion. But those of you on Facebook just want to reiterate, grab some communion elements so you can join us. All right, we're going to be back in Exodus. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Exodus chapter 17. We are going to be back in Exodus for another stretch. We, we, we do a chunk and then we take a few weeks off. Then we do a chunk and then we take a few weeks off. That's kind of been our rhythm. And so we're going to be in the book of Exodus uh, for another probably until the, uh, the end of July early August before we take another break um, uh, there's going to be a reading plan as normal to go up on our website this week and, and uh, if you have been using that would you let me know if, if I hear from five people who have been using that uh, we'll keep doing it if not then uh, not going to do it after this week <laughs> just to be honest with you it just takes some time so if don't know how many people use it we get 5 people it's worth it all right um Here's the deal for today. It's going to give you the title up front. It's called Living Water from the True Rock. Living Water from the True Rock. We're in Exodus 17. We're going to be in verses 1 through 7. Living Water from the True Rock. I don't have a lengthy introduction. I just want to read a quote from a guy named John Bloom who says this, Anytime a selfish sinner is tasked with leading other selfish sinners in a Godward direction, whether in families, friendships, small groups, churches, or broader movement, there's going to be trouble. I like that quote. That speaks to me. Anybody experience that? Anytime a selfish sinner is tasked with leading other selfish sinners, whether that's your business, a nonprofit, in your family, your marriage, certainly been true in our church, there's going to be trouble. <laughs> that was certainly the case for the people of Israel as Moses was tasked with leading them through the wilderness, out of Egypt, towards the promised land, and through this long stretch in the wilderness. There was trouble, and today we're going to look at another moment of trouble that they found themselves in. So, Exodus 17, verses 1 through 7. Let me just catch you up, if you haven't been with us, where we are at in the story. What has happened here in the book of Exodus? God said to Moses, I want my people free. The, the people of Israel had been slaves in Egypt. God said, go free them. I'm going to perform these mighty deeds, these miracles, these plagues. I'm going to bring judgment on the, the, the Egyptians, and I'm going to lead them out. So God did that. Then they get to the Red Sea. The people of Israel freak out. They're like, oh no, what are we going to do? We're going to drown in the Red Sea. And God says, watch again. He parts the Red Sea. The people of Israel go through. The Egyptians follow after. God sends the Red Sea on top of the Egyptians, drowns them all, and the people of Israel are free. So they are, they end, here's a little map. They cross the Red Sea and they kind of start to go into the desert. After a few days, they found themselves at Marah where they were thirsty. They had been without water for three days, and so they're freaking out again. Oh no, what's going to happen? Are we going to die? And God brings them to water, but the water's salty. It's very bitter. Uh, they can't drink it or they'll die. God does a miraculous work, turns it into good water. They drink. They're satisfied. Then he leads them to Elim. I know it's hard to see this map in the sun, uh, but he brings them south to Elim, where there's all these springs, and they're refreshed, and they're drinking, and it's good. And then God says, okay, well, we're not done, though. We've got to keep going. So then they go out into the wilderness of sin where there is no food. And they start to grumble. And they start to, uh, once again, freak out and go, oh, no, what are we going to do? We're going to die. It was better if we had stayed in Egypt when we were slaves. That would have been better for us. And then God does a miracle. He provides for them manna from heaven. 
this, this strange bread-like substance on the ground every morning and quail at night. And then he says, he institutes the Sabbath day. He says, there's going to be, on the seventh day, no food is going to be out on the ground. Don't even go out there to collect it. Stay in your tents. I'm going to provide enough food on the sixth day for you to rest on the seventh. Trust me. I'm your new master. I'm not like the old Egyptians masters. God was teaching them to trust him as their good father now. Some of them didn't trust. They went out looking for food. They didn't find it. God says, come on, you can trust me. And then from the wilderness of sin, they're going to head off to Rephidim. And that's where we're going to pick it up, okay? Just a reminder, these moments that they've had, because it's important as we look at what, what takes place in this chapter. So let me pray, because without God doing what God does in our hearts, we're wasting our time, right? Right? Yeah. We are. We are. Without God doing what God does, we're wasting our time. I'm wasting my time. You're wasting your time. Everybody's just wasting their time. So God, please, would you do what only you can do? Would you do what only you can do? God, there's people here who, who have never experienced who you are for real. They've seen Christians out there acting like fools, and that's their idea of who you are. God, would you speak to them today? There's people who are Christians here who have trusted in you, but they're dry, they're thirsty, they're confused, they're bewildered, they're hurt, they're angry, they're frustrated, they're scared. God, would you speak to them today and speak in such a way to all of us that it actually touches our souls. Show us what it means to find living water from the true rock. And God, for some of us, we may not realize how thirsty we actually are for you. And maybe that's what you need to do is show us how thirsty we are. We've been numbing ourselves from, on all these other things. Would you show us? I need more. All right, it's in your name I pray. Amen. All right, here we go. Exodus 17, starting in verse 1. The whole Israel community set out from the desert of Sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So once again, they get to a place where there is lack. There is a moment where they are missing something that they need. Water. Water is an essential. It's not like they were missing their Netflix. or Like they needed, it was an essential thing for water, and they didn't have it. But notice verse 1. As the Lord commanded. They traveled from place to place as the Lord commanded. Now Moses wrote this book of Exodus years later. And so he put this in there for the future generations to see. As the Lord, the Lord was leading us, Moses is saying, from place to place, moment to moment, and every time we faced a moment of lack, that was still God leading us. That's what Moses is saying here. Another moment of need, and it was God's doing. So if we learn anything from this season of wandering around the wilderness with the Israelites, if we learn anything, learn this. Having a relationship with God was never meant to be challenge-free. Not until Jesus returns and ushers in the ultimate promised land. 
In the meantime, we are going to have our own form of wandering and we're going to come across moments of need, hardship, difficulty, where we go, I don't know what to do. And God is doing that for the same reason he was doing that for them. He's training us to trust in him, training us to rely on him, training us to depend on him as our good father. Training us to say, okay, even though I don't see a way out here, God, I know you've got something because you're my good father. Now, did the Israelites learn to depend on God? Were they being trained? Were they maturing as fast as they should have been? How did they respond to this moment of lack? Do they stop and go, all right, everybody, let's do a worship gathering. Let's pray. God's going to provide that water. Do they remind themselves and say, hey, remember what God did at the Red Sea? Don't worry. God's going to provide water. Remember what God did at Mara when he turned the bitter water into good water. God's going to provide again. Remember what God did in the wilderness of sin. Remember when he provided manna. Don't worry. He's going to do something like that. Did they do that? Let's look at what they did in verse 2. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. They quarreled. Another version says grumbled. They complained. That's the idea. They started to grumble and complain because that's what they always did. They were trained as slaves, as orphans, so to speak, to react to threats one way, and they still are doing it. Even though they have been freed people and they belong to God, Yahweh, they're not acting like it. Not when threats come up. Now they're freaking out again. They're quarreling with Moses as if it's Moses' fault. As if he's got water in his back pocket that is he is withholding from them. As if it was him who took the wrong turn. Give us water to drink. It's as if they were saying, God's been doing some miracles through you. Do another one. Let's go. So there is entitlement there. I, I'm going to propose to you this is not scripture. This is just me, okay? I'll make that clear. But I, but I believe complaining and grumbling comes from a combination of fear and entitlement. Fear of not getting or losing what we think we need or want combined with entitlement. I deserve that thing. So the fear plus the entitlement leads to us grumbling, complaining, and murmuring. I deserve this. Give it to me. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? Why me? Why, why, are you, why are you complaining to me? I'm not the one withholding water. I'm not hiding it from you. I don't have it in my tent somewhere. I, 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 I'm not the one who's in charge. Yes, I'm leading you, but I'm not the one ultimately in charge. God led us here. And then he says, why do you put the Lord to the test? As if, it, as, as if they were saying, if God was really good to me, we would have water immediately. Y'all ever been there? In your grumbling and your complaining, that's what it is implying. That God is not who God says he is. He's not a good God or he's not a powerful God. Now, we don't say it out loud. You know, at least the good church people here don't say that out loud. Right? You might say it in your head. You might say it in the shower to yourself. You don't say it at your prayer meetings and your life groups, usually. But that's what, we're, that's what our grumbling and complaining implies. That either God is not good to me right now, or he's good, but he doesn't have the power to effectively give me his goodness. You know, like somebody else got in the way of his goodness. God's good, but he's kind of weak. 
So that person just messed it up. You know, that person did me wrong, and God's over there going, man, I had a good life for you planned, but that guy just totally took it off course. I don't know what to do. That's what our grumbling implies. Like, God's like, ah, I'm good, but that circumstance, I didn't see that one coming for your life, so I don't know what to do about that. Sorry, you're on your own. That's what our grumbling implies. And then it leads to us making dramatic and extreme statements like the Israelites are about to make in verse 3. Check it out. The people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Now, this is the same thing they've said before at the Red Sea. They said it again when they were out of food. They're like, it's better if we had stayed in Egypt. Life was good when we were slaves. Why did you free us from slavery, Moses? Why did you come along bugging us about being free? We were good at Egypt. And this is what we do. We can't see a way forward, so we long for the past and we remember it with the wrong filter. Right? You're, you're 45 and you're still single and you're going, man, I should have stayed with that boyfriend. He wasn't that unhealthy. It wasn't that toxic. It was pretty good. I shouldn't have broken up. Or we're married and we get into that fight, that crisis time. We're like, man, I should have got out before we had kids. Man, I shouldn't have given it another shot. We shouldn't have went back to counseling. We take our in-laws' advice about getting a job and something goes wrong with our boss. And we think, I shouldn't have taken my in-laws' advice. My father-in-law never knows what he's talking about anyway. We say things like that, extreme declarations. We take our pastor's advice and things don't turn out the way we want. And we go, I shouldn't have listened. We sue him and the church. That's never happened here. Not yet. Not yet. Verse 4. All of a sudden, the point is, all of a sudden we become experts on what should have been when things don't go well. All of a sudden we're experts on what should have happened. We think we can write the book on what should have happened. Verse 4. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. What do I do with these guys? So Moses doesn't try to fix them. He doesn't even try to reassure them. Hey, guys, don't worry. God's got this. He doesn't try to calm them down. He doesn't do any of that. All he does is turn to, the, to God and go, God, I don't know what to do. These guys are going to stone me. And I'm sure somewhere in his heart he wanted to stone them right back. Because people, people want to be led, right? They don't want to be led, but they expect their leaders to lead them to better, betterness. So when things go worse, then they go, ah, oh, it's the leader's fault. And a leader wants to have the confidence to turn and say, hey, don't worry. This is what's going on. Here's the plan. It's going to get better. Moses didn't have that. He didn't have that. He didn't know what was going on. So all he could do is cry out to the Lord. And sometimes that's all we can do. When we're falsely accused, when we're misunderstood, when, when, when we're being slandered about or gossiped about, when our kids are saying foolish things about us, to us. I was talking to a woman recently whose adult children aren't really getting along, and they're both accusing her of taking the other side. And it's like, that's crazy, but that's what happens. I talked to another father recently who's grown a child. Children were doing the same thing. When false accusations come and misunderstanding come, and, and it feels like just we're, we're being categorized and, and labeled. Sometimes all we can do is cry out to the Lord and go, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Verse 5. 
The Lord answered Moses. The Lord, let me just stop there for a moment. Just the Lord answered him. He cries out and the Lord answered him. Our God answers our cries. Some of y'all just need to sit in that for a moment. You cry out to other people. You, when, when threats come your way, if your first response is to like call up somebody to vent to, sometimes they'll answer, but it ain't going to be the right answer. Moses cried out to the Lord first, and the Lord answered. His answers are always good. What did he say? Go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand before you by the rock at Horeb. Get the elders. They're going to be witnesses. Get the staff, your rod. Now that staff, that rod, was a symbol of God's deliverance, miracles, and judgment so far. When, Mos- when God had Moses um, go to Pharaoh in Egypt, he always had him use his staff. He held it up, or he, he put it in the Nile. He held it up at the Red Sea. It was a symbol of God's deliverance of Israel and judgment on the Egyptians, on Israel's enemies. And so God said, take that staff, Get the elders, go to the rock at Horeb, and I will be there. I'll show up. I'll be at the rock. I'll be next to you there. So in other words, you do what I'm telling you to do. Get the staff, get the, el- get the elders, go to the rock. I'm going to show up and do what I do. Some of y'all need to hear that today. God's saying, you do what I'm telling you to do, and I'll be right next to you. And we want to say, God, I want to know what the plan is first. Before I'm obedient to do my part, give me the plan and let me see if I approve of it. I'll, I'll share it with my friends and family members and we'll, we'll let you know if we like it. And God's like, uh-uh. You do what I tell you to do and I'll show up and be the God that I am. We want guarantees, don't we? We want security. We want to know. God's like, no, no, no. You be faithful to do what I'm telling you to do, and I'll show up. God continued, strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. He struck the rock with the staff, and water came out. The people drank. Their lives were saved, and the elders stood by as witnesses of this to attest to this miracle for the future generations. And then in verse 7, it says this. And Moses called the place Massah and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? Massah means testing. Meribah means quarreling. So Moses named the place appropriately after the grumbling people. (laughs) Imagine a place being named after your grumbling. He named that place after their grumbling Because they were wondering, is God among us or isn't he? Even though God had shown himself faithful time and time again, they're like, is God really here? And what did God do? He said, you strike the rock, I will be there beside you on that rock. I'll be there. God showed himself faithful yet again to this people who were still faithless. Still faithless. 
So Moses named it the place. There were elders mentioned who were witnesses so that the people of Israel would remember for generations to come that even though their ancestors tested God by complaining, God was still faithful. That's what Moses wants the future generations to remember about this moment. And by the time of Jesus, there was actually a ceremony commemorating this moment where God provided water from the rock. So a few things that we need to take away. If you're taking notes, then you can write this down. If you're not taking notes, uh, consider taking notes. I don't know what to say to that. Try to remember. Take a screenshot of this if you can, if you can see it. It's very simple. Three things. Number one, God still leads us to moments where we feel lack. I believe that. I believe that. God still leads us to moments where we feel lack, where we feel a lack of provision, where we feel a lack of security, where we feel a lack of support from friends and family or church family, where we feel a lack of clarity, a lack of answers, a lack of a plan, a lack of being understood. You ever been in moments where you're like, nobody understands me? I, th- I believe God leads us to those moments so that we can cry out to him, depend on him, grab hold of him, learn to trust him in a new way. In ways that we haven't before. Sometimes when Jesus is all we have, we realize he is all we need. Now praise him for those moments when circumstances are going well and people are coming through for us. Give thanks for those moments. But there are going to be moments where they're not. And all we can do is go, God, what do I do? Like Moses did. Number two, God is still faithful despite our faithlessness. So here's the good news. Here's the good news. Even though we should learn to stop grumbling and complaining, we should. Y'all should stop being grumblers. I should stop being a grumbler. And by the time we meet Jesus, we will. But until that day, we are going to have moments where we struggle with this. Anybody have a moment where you were just a grumbler this past week? You gave in to a grumbling spirit, a fearful and entitlement spirit? Yeah, yeah. You did, Matt? Michael, thank you for your honesty, Steve. It's good, it's good. Men are being honest, I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> um, usually they make the women just raise their hands and do all the, you know, you guys are being honest, that's good. Strong church. Um, Even though, here's the good news. Where was I? Even though we still struggle with that, God is still faithful. God doesn't doesn't say, well, if you're going to complain, then I ain't coming through anymore. Like we sometimes want to do with our kids, right? You're complaining again, then you ain't going to get it. You say it one more time, then you're never going to see that again. God is faithful to us even when we lack faith, even when we're grumbling. So we, we may be guilty of grumbling on one hand, but we don't have to be ashamed because of our grumbling and say, well, God doesn't want to bless me. He might want to kick me out of his kingdom, his family. No, God's always saying, no, no, no. I'm faithful. I want to bless you. I want to bless you. I'm a blessing God. I'm a good God. I'm a faithful God. That's good news for the grumblers in here. And you know how he pours out his faithfulness? You know how we experience it? We've got to come to the rock. And that brings us to number three. God still provides water, living water, by striking the rock, the true rock. I want to recap again what happened here in this story. 
It's important, real quick. The people are grumbling in entitlement and rebellion. God tells Moses to grab his staff and to meet him at the rock at Horeb. And God says, you're going to strike that rock that, with that staff, the staff that represented my judgment on the Egyptians, the plagues that I sent on the Egyptians, the, the, the Red Sea covering them and drowning them. You're going to take that same staff and you're going to do what with it? You're not going to strike the grumbling Israelites who deserve a spanking right now. You're going to strike the rock and I'm going to be there beside you on the rock. Or put another way, you are going to strike where I am instead of the people of Israel. And out of that will come water so that they can live. And this is what God still does for us through Jesus. The Apostle Paul, in case you're thinking this is a stretch, the Apostle Paul explicitly said later on in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians 10, he says in 1 Corinthians 10, starting in verse 1, I don't want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters. So he's talking to the church now, which is made up of now Jews and Gentiles who have trusted in Jesus. Similar to our church. I don't want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them and that rock was Christ. Paul was saying that that rock that they drank from was a foreshadow of the ultimate rock who is Jesus who came down to step into our place in flesh and then who was conspired against by the elders of Israel inspired with the Romans because they deemed Jesus a threat to their system, a threat to their temple, a threat to their power. And they said, we got to do something about him. So they conspired with the Romans to have him convicted and sentenced to death as a criminal. And then he was struck down on a Roman cross as the elders watched He was struck with the rod of punishment, the rod of God's just wrath for sinners so that all who would come to Jesus and trust in him could receive living water instead of judgment. So he's the rock, Paul says here. And then Jesus said, two times I want to show you that he is the source of living water. In John chapter 4, let me back it up and set it up real quick. J Jesus comes to a well. And there's a Samaritan in Samaria, and there's a woman there. And Jews didn't associate with Samaritans. There was a lot of racial and ethnic tension there. And certainly a Jewish man didn't talk to a Samaritan woman. But Jesus asked this woman for a drink from the well. And she's like, why are you asking me for a drink of water? Like, why would you talk to me? And Jesus says, oh, if you knew who I was and what I could offer, you would be asking me for a drink. And then she didn't understand, and they had this conversation. And then Jesus said this in John 4. Verse 13, he said, everyone who drinks this water, this water that I can give, will be, or, or this water from the, the well, sorry, will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You drink this water from the well and you're going to be thirsty again. It's, it's going to quench your thirst for a moment and then you'll be thirsty. But I've got water. For those who come to me, I've got water. That will never run out. You can continually drink from that water. And she still didn't quite know what, how or why, but it was because he was going to go to the cross and be struck down. 
so that our sins could be forgiven, so that God's judgment would pass over us onto Jesus, and we can receive everything that Jesus deserves. When Jesus came up from his baptism, God the Father said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And he says that about you and I when we're in Christ. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. Oh, but I had a bad week. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. This is my beloved daughter in whom I'm, but I had a bad day. You should have seen the argument I got into this morning. This is my beloved son. Why? Because of what Jesus did. And we can continually come to him and drink because of the Holy Spirit that he gives us. Jesus said in John chapter 7, he's at the Feast of Tabernacles. And during this particular feast, there was uh, a ceremony that commemorated that moment in the desert. Their ancestors drank from that rock. And it's during this feast, check it out in John 7, in verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, right? So they're all thinking about uh, that moment that their ancestors had in the desert where they drank water from this rock. Jesus stands up and says to the crowd, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Come to me and drink. By this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not yet been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. He had not yet died, risen again, and ascended into heaven. Now, for you and I, he's done that. And he gives his Spirit to those who trust in him. And it's that Spirit that satisfies our soul's deepest longings. Even in moments of wilderness and confusion and difficulty... Like Josh said earlier, he doesn't lead us to a carefree life. But even when we come to moments of lack, he says, I'm going to be there to quench your thirst. I'm going to be there with you to satisfy your thirst. I'm going to be living water to you even in this moment. And sometimes we're in moments where we're like, I, I can't imagine having peace until this circumstance gets worked out. And God says, no, 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 you watch. You watch me give you a supernatural peace that is beyond understanding right now. By the power of my spirit, because I was the rock that was struck in your place. So as we end, I'm going to give you two questions, and then we're going to receive communion, and we're going to worship a little bit. I've got two questions for you. And actually, the band, can, you guys can come on up here at this moment. Those of you at home, you can, again, you can grab some communion elements and prepare to receive it with us. Why don't we all just stand, actually? Can I just ask us to stand just to shift for a moment? I want us to really consider these two questions. Number one. Do you need to put your faith in Jesus for the first time and receive this living water? First question. I don't know everybody here. I don't know if everybody's trusted in Jesus. Even if you've been coming to True Life for eight years since we started. That doesn't mean you've trusted in Jesus. You may know things about him. You may have certain beliefs, but have you come to him? Said, God, you're the one who died in my place. You're the rock who was struck in my place. I want that living water. I've never reached out for it. If that's you, make today the day. Make today the day, and you can receive communion with us for the first time. In fact, you get baptized. we got a baptism coming up on July 4th. What an appropriate day to get baptized. Independence Day. 
freedom because of what Jesus has done. We're going to celebrate that. We're going to do it right here at the farm. And it's going to be a celebration of God rescuing another one or two or three people from slavery, bringing them into new life. When we come up out of water, it represents I've got the very life of Jesus living in me through his spirit. That's what that represents. So if you've never trusted in Jesus, then while we're singing this first song, I'm going to encourage you to just come down front. You just come down front like this and just stand here as we worship. Nobody's going to ask you anything. I might come up behind you, put my hand on your shoulder and just pray silently for you. But that's it. Your, your real declaration of faith would be a baptism. But this is just a step, a moment of saying yes. I'm saying yes to Jesus today as the rock who is struck in my place. That's number one. Number two question. Are you a follower of Jesus already, but in a dry season? You've placed your faith in Jesus. You've been baptized. But you're in a dry season. You feel thirsty. You feel thirsty. You're like, man, why isn't God filling me? And it may be because, it may be because you've been drinking from the wrong well. You've been going to other sources for life to quench the thirst that only Jesus can quench. And there's all kinds of wells that we run to in this world. All kinds. All kinds. I can't even give you close to an exhaustive list. I mean, there's money, there's financial security, there's the approval of family members, the approval of friends. There's toys and trinkets. There's fitting in with certain crowds. There's sports. There's hobbies. There's drugs. There's alcohol. There's just the need to be in control. There's all kinds of things that we run to. Some of those things aren't even bad. There's self-improvement. There's religious works. If we put our... There's church attendance. If we put the hope of, of, of quenching our thirst into any of those things, we will end up disappointed eventually. It might work for a moment, but we will end up disappointed. And that's why Jesus said, come to, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. Leave those other wells. Stop drinking from those other wells. Come to me and drink. They might satisfy for a moment, but come to me and drink. Our daughter, our, one of our daughters is obsessed, was obsessed we're not sure where she's at now, but she kind of was obsessed with this game called Roblox on her, our phone. You guys might know about it. Obsessed with it, where we pull her away, she kind of freaks out, and, and you know, she's trying to build up this little, I don't, I don't even quite understand it, but we were just praying like, this is like, seems like an addiction. What do you do about this? And then one night, things weren't working out in the game. She was getting frustrated. She said, I hate Roblox. And I was like, yeah, good. Thank you, Jesus. Because it wasn't working out. And she was realizing, like, that's why these addictions are bad for us. Because in the end, they disappoint us. The things that we run to. And we have adult versions of Roblox. Don't we? Don't we? And, 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 and we're following Jesus, but we're trying to drink. We're like, Jesus will get me into heaven. But I, my soul's thirst, I need to quench it over here with this. And Jesus, come to me and drink. We may have the Holy Spirit in us, but we're not letting him fill us. 
We're not relying on him to quench our thirst. So if that's you, you're thirsty, if you've been following Jesus, I want to invite you to do the same thing as the first group. Come down front as a declaration of repentance and saying, Jesus, I'm coming back to you as my true well. I'm going to turn. Repent means to turn, to do a 180 in our thinking and in our trusting. And no longer I'm going to trust in this, whatever it is. I'm going to go back to trusting in you again, where my trust should be, my hope should be. So we're going to sing a song called Cornerstone. We'll, we'll receive communion together after that song. But again, during that song, you can come forward. If you're in the first group or the second group, I might come up behind you and just put my hand on my, your shoulder and pray silently for you. Not going to ask you to do any talking yourself. Not today. If anybody else feels led to kind of put a hand on these folks' shoulders, you feel free to do that. But let's just let the, the band lead us here in worship.